Hi team and welcome back to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. In this episode I was stoked to talk with my good buddy Darren Ellis. Darren is a legitimate practitioner in the fields of strength, conditioning and nutrition. He's also known as the godfather of CrossFit in New Zealand because he founded the very first CrossFit and he's represented New Zealand a number of times at the regionals and at the games. He's far more than just CrossFit though. Darren holds a master's degree in nutrition and exercise science, and he's able to really distill a lot of the science down to what I consider to be some of the very best translational applied information for his clients and the people that he speaks for around New Zealand and around the world. So sit back, enjoy this chat between me and Darren Daz Ellis. Welcome to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn. If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ, quit. This song don't give a damn. You can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it. This song ain't arrogant. If you don't try and buy it, or if your radio denies it, don't care about what, who got, what's cool on TV, or what spots hot, I forgot. I ain't mad at evolution, but I stand for revolution. Get up, enough is enough. Stand up. Come on. So, Darren, it's good to have you here though, finally. Very honored to be here, Cliff. <laughs> You're the man. Uh, we first met. I, I don't know exactly how many years ago. It was probably about nine years ago now. And it's sort of an embarrassing Genesis tale because um, I was running a little workshop with Industrial Athletic. And uh, I think we were both uh, some of the early ambassadors for the Industrial Athletic brand and running a little workshop on kettlebells. And, um, you know, it's one of those embarrassing situations where you're you're teaching and you realize that the guy you're teaching is probably more proficient at this stuff than you are. Oh, and on. so it's a, you got to get out of your way pretty quickly. Um, but since then, obviously, we've got on and done a bunch of things together. And you, you told me a story the other day, which I thought was super interesting. I, I had envisaged that you had this really long, not that you don't, but you had this really long history in, you know, uh, sports and performance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you were telling me how, it really wasn't that way. You sort of went from being your, your Kiwi everyman into getting into this stuff. So t- tell us a little bit about how that happened. Yeah. Um, I was just a really tiny kid. So, you know, uh, the classic New Zealand rugby pathway was not for me. Um, maybe it could have been if I had a little more guts, but I didn't. Um, so I was too scared to get on the field and um, I did gymnastics for a little bit and uh that was my very early years and and then uh, yeah not really a lot more besides a, a bit of martial arts um but you're not your classic sporty sort of stuff and then my 20s almost nothing at all uh traveling overseas doing the sort of classic kiwi oe backpacker thing and um really the only muscle i was exercising was my right bicep you know the tip uh <laughs> to, to bear down my throat so, but there was always a, I guess, always a desire to be fit or, or, or to be healthier. Um, just really didn't know how to pursue it. 
and I often tell people at uh, the nutrition lectures I give that my my first conscious memorable decision to get healthier was to stop eating pies and chips and to eat uh, entire bags of jelly beans instead because there was no fat in them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but from small steps, right? From uh, from that was still a conscious choice to try to do something better, and uh, just started to morph from there. And so, how did it morph from there? Because you. You were in sort of orthodox academia, I guess, doing your bachelor's and master's degree first, and then you moved into CrossFit. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we'd probably have to go back a step further just in the, before university was was those continuous attempts to to improve my own health. So it was all very self-researched. Um, on once the Once the interwebs was invented, then it was uh, you know a lot easier to access that stuff. But I was you know I was Men's Health magazine for a while, and then um, Testosterone magazine. Yeah, uh, that was actually where I really started to get access to you know to, to some. There's an interesting place, isn't it? There was a lot of very highly um, respected scientific researchers on that in the early days. Um, yet it was a complete meathead site, um, I, and and I think I was lucky enough to to get to that at the right time and really start to understand some stuff from, uh, you know, Poliquin and um, uh, Barati and people like that. And so that was self-educated. That's what led me to decide to, to uh, go to university. So um, skipping ahead, uh, that very classic sort of uh, traditional training in university um, just didn't seem to be working with clients that I was working with. And I started working in the gym the day I joined, um, the day I started uni, started working in a gym. And uh, yeah, I could just see it not working. I could see, you know, um, everything that is wrong with the fitness industry seemed to be happening in the gym that I was at. And uh, so it made me very curious and, and, and um, going on the fact that I'd, you know, learned a lot of useful stuff myself already. I just kept kept searching. And so that's when CrossFit kind of came across my radar. So that, that early stuff that you were doing, given that you were reading, you know, TMAG and, and publications like that, was that very much bodybuilding style training or were you more sort of strength focused even back then? Yeah, it was probably still more strength focused. Uh, it just intuitively made more sense to me. Um, and I think I just plain wanted to be stronger. Um, my very first exposure to weight training was when I was 16 and that was very bodybuilding esque. Um, and it's also where I encountered my first injury. So um, I think I was, I was looking for a more real holistic kind of approach from the get-go mm. my mid-20s was, was when we're sort of talking um so yeah there was always deadlifts there was always squats um there was attempts at power cleans but it took a wee while before those uh um, were anything i was proud of trying to learn yeah. the Olympic level out of a book is hard did you know that <laughs> yeah well tell me about it i um when i first got into olympic lifting i, I think I, w I was reading articles at the time by Oh, Christian Thibodeau and guys like that and, you know, sort of trying to mimic what, what they were saying in their articles and then I'd take it to my coach and he'd just shake his head and go, my dude, what are you doing? <laughs> because, I mean, some of it was probably incorrect according to his teaching methodology, but some of it as well was just missing in translation, trying to get from the text into your brain, which is pretty difficult to do. Yeah. But, you know, some of those magazines, I remember uh, – my first exposure to keto, and I only thought about this a couple of months back when I was giving a talk, sort of popped up. I, I thought it was through uh, when I was studying, getting into uh, you know higher protein 
diets and things like that and doing research into the emerging or looking at the emerging research i should, should say about higher protein diets at the time but it wasn't it was earlier than that it was when i was a high school athlete and i was reading an old iron man magazine and they were talking a, about this keto diet and it, it appealed to me because um they were saying you know if you are following this particular diet and keeping your carbs really low you can still have a, a beer at the end of the day and it won't sort of kick you out of ketosis and that sounded pretty a, a appealing to me but super interesting that a lot of those magazines back in the day had legitimate bona fide experts and you had you know magazines like iron man and then um that the more progressive one was muscle media 2000 that became probably a, a little bit different over time and all the authors from there moved over to TMAG. Um, and obviously that's changed a lot in the intervening years as well. But I think back in the day, there, there really was a, a lot of that progressive material. The only way to get it out there was was through those magazines because we don't have, you know, the blogosphere that we now now have. Don't tell me we've lost you again, Daz. No, Are you still there? <laughs> still there. Sorry, just having some microphone difficulties. We're back. That's all good. That's what you I hope hopefully it's not, not too uh, distorted, but the earbuds have crapped out now, so we're having a good time today. <laughs> but you can still hear me. I can still hear you. Good. And everyone can still hear us, so we're, we're still going along just fine. This is the nature of the business. Yeah. So then I, you, you've you been called, and I know you don't like this, but you have been called the godfather of CrossFit in New Zealand because you started the first CrossFit box in New Zealand, right? Yeah, no, of course it's very flattering. Um, it's when it's when people get it wrong and call me the grandfather of CrossFit in New Zealand that um, I don't like it. But uh, you're not far off, mate. Yeah, feeling <laughs> feeling that way sometimes. Uh, but no, it's you know it's certainly uh, it's 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 much more of an honour than it is uh, an insult or or a or a jest. Um, I, I I bear that title um, gladly. Um, and I do, you know, I feel some responsibility, I guess, and some pride in the movement, if we're going to call it that, because um, we can't call it a cult, of course, um, <laughs> although it is. Some it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've had no idea of, of what was going to happen when we started. Um, just seemed, it just really resonated. And uh, I tell people that the reason it's called CrossFit New Zealand was not to try to pin down the entire real estate, but uh, because I didn't think anyone else was going to do the same. So it was as, as good a name as any, but we're up to 120 odd, 130 odd uh, CrossFit gyms around the country. Yeah. I mean, it's, is it still growing or, or has it sort of plateaued now? Do you think it's, it's has definitely leveled off. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, I don't really keep track of it. It's leveled off, but uh, some gyms close, some gyms sell, others open. So it's, it seems to be, yes, it seems to be ticking along. Um, and, and, you know, then there's, then there's the CrossFit-esque um, gyms, yeah. functional fitness, uh, the more, the, the franchise ones, F45, Orange Theory, that sort of thing. So you could argue that, if, if CrossFit's plateaued in New Zealand, the um, the style of training is going from strength to strength. Yeah, and that's um, that's an interesting thing that we see now is that that growth in I guess what people used to be used to call functional fitness, although I think that term's fallen into disrepute as well now. But how do you think that whole culture of of cross training and functional fitness has changed the fitness landscape? 
oh, uh, massively is really all I can say. Uh, we've taken, you know, we've taken an entire population of people that used to do uh, machine-based weight training and treadmill and elliptical trainer cardio, steady state style to um, very high intensity, uh, mixed modal type movements um, and, and uh, you know, intervals, um, lots of lactate work, you know, just going, going to a place I've never gone before. And I think that was a big reason for its initial success. There was a, I think there was a real missing component in most people's, in their training, like uh, filling the gaps. So you had, you had sort of very, very mid-range rep strength training, but no one was really getting strong. And, and mm. you know, I, I'm painting broad strokes here. And then um, that steady state cardio, no one was really getting much kind of metabolic capacity either. So um, CrossFit, you know, it, it suddenly gave this incredible fitness to the average person. Um, yeah, it was so. Yeah, it was absolutely, absolutely a game changer. Um, of course, what's happening now is people have uh, given up steady state aerobic work and um, bodybuilding style isolation work, um, which were great complements to high intensity stuff. And now all they're left with is uh, very high intensity work, which which potentially has um, potentially offers its own problems. Now that's not uh, CrossFit's fault. I'm always quick to say it's it's the way that many people interpret what CrossFit is, and um, they just don't quite vary it enough um, because the fun stuff is the hard, intense stuff, and so that's what tends to get done the most. Yeah, you make a good point, and I had I hadn't thought about it in that way before. We, we often think about you know CrossFit being a a, a type of exercise that incorporates different modalities and that was appealing to people and they become became involved with it it sort of rode the wave i guess of an emerging functional fitness movement and and, you know in fitness in general but you make a really good point in that people began to focus on the sort of the performance outcomes Mm rather than just putting in their time at the gym. And I think that's what a lot of people were doing, you know, apart from those who were in the sort of niche sex of powerlifting, bodybuilding, whatever, most people going to the gym are putting in time because they, they should, you know, they know they've got to put in a certain amount of time, do some bodybuilding, maybe do some steady state cardio to try and achieve this thing of health. And one thing that blew me away when I first started working with CrossFit athletes, not that I've done a lot, but I've done a little bit was that they were really focused on learning skills and improving these very interesting aspects of performance. And that, that blew me away because that wasn't really something that was done apart from in, you know, truly legitimate athletes who were working towards a particular goal. And I I think that's changed the whole landscape of, of training probably more than anything else. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing to think about. We, we stopped telling people that they need six packs uh, or, or stop them thinking that that was important and instead turn the focus to how fast can you run? How high can you jump? How much can you lift? How, you know, um, how many reps can you do? And I think that really took a lot of pressure off people. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's such a vanity based industry. And how many, how many six packs were built because of that? 
and that's the funny side of it. And it's exactly yeah. how I would uh, explain it to people. I, I would say, you know, we we don't focus on the six pack. It just becomes a um, lucky or a, or a, a, a you know a welcome side effect of focusing on performance. Um, it's certainly, I think, a healthier way. Um, like anything, it, it's, it can be taken too far, and, and you see it now in the, the competitive side of it. Um, and uh, people that maybe should not be competing who who are, are tied up in the performance side of things. Um, but yeah, I still think it's a you know a much healthier focus to think about. You 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 just mentioned it then, like the 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 desire to learn new skills. That's the stuff that I love. Um, people coming to me with a desire to learn new skills and and to get better at them. And so that is certainly a performance metric. But chasing performance uh, at the um, expense of health is is as bad as chasing aesthetics at the expense of health and we've kind of been seeing both of those going on for a while now and so did you see that as being a challenge a major challenge in crossfit is that people aren't so focused on health anymore or is that something that's always been there i no i think it's more recent it's certainly um as i said i wouldn't blame crossfit i would blame the games a little bit um and this is coming from games athlete i love I love the sport of fitness, but um, it's a different it's a different kettle of fish. It's a sport as opposed to a, a health movement. And um, many uh, people who practice CrossFit, many coaches who coach CrossFit, many owners who own CrossFit gyms uh, are heavily swayed by CrossFit games and uh, performance above all else. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm my part uh, <laughs> as the godfather is um trying to swing the, the you know swing the the level back to um, mm. health dare i say a little bit of aesthetics because ultimately um improved body composition equals improved health and uh confidence and all that sort of stuff uh the performance is still there it's just getting that balance right so how do you work to get that balance right for your members uh, it's always tough, and I'm still working on it. But uh, eff- effectively, it means that um, we don't glorify being absolutely smashed at the end of every single workout. No more. <laughs> what was it? Pukey the clown. <laughs> yeah, but but hey, um, you know uh, that's a different kind of capacity. You know, that's sort of your lactic power. You've got to go there. Right? You've got to be a little bit pukey to have capacity in that kind of domain. And mm. um, athletes who have the, the potential to go there, have the capacity to go there, then we do it. But, um, you know, for my 60-year-old clients who are, who've never really exercised formally in their life, uh, they do not need a one-minute air bike sprint for max calories, you know. I'm not, they're, not even gonna make, they're not even going to enter the, the lactate shuttle. You know, they simply can't produce that kind of power output. Um, far better off for them that they're getting steady-state aerobic work and, and mm. simple um single limb strength training you know um so it's more about who who it's appropriate for and just again because typically in in a crossfit gym we deliver it in a group setting um the people that need the people that what's what most people need they're not always getting what they what they should be getting yeah so yeah again i just try to vary the intensity that's more than anything the 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 catchphrase of crossfit is you know constantly varied functional movement executed at high intensity but what if you slip the word relative in there executed at relatively high intensity relative to the individual it's a perfect description 
just that intensity to get, that high intensity just gets sort of misinterpreted a little bit and um yeah as often m- means that every single day is a smash fest and the body just can't cope with that uh, yeah. do, do you think that the the lower intensity work or perhaps more more correctly it would be sort of rehab and restorative work do, do you think that's coming to crossfit and functional training in general more recently or is that a thread that's always been there it's just that maybe people are paying a bit more attention now oh it's definitely more recent um and and people are paying more attention uh because you know they're starting to feel the effects of this hard training um but uh yeah there's 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 companies there's there's experts that are sort of um, putting their hands up and and talking about this sort of stuff so it's really good timing you know if that it's aligned um it's, you know, I think it's, a lot of it's to do with the fact that, you know, 10 years ago, smartphones didn't exist. You know, we've, our, we've completely changed a lot of our behaviors in such a really short time. And uh, we're walking less, we're moving less, we're, you know, we're on our computers a lot more. And yet we're exercising harder than ever. Mm. For one hour, we're exercising harder than we've ever exercised. But for 23 yeah. hours, we're doing sweet F all. Yeah. You know, um, I tell you myself how hard it is to get 10,000 steps on a daily basis. You know, um, if, if I have a busy day coaching and I walk to the cafe, you know, I might manage 8,000 and I've got to work really hard to get, you know, just some, just some basic movement. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I certainly try to add extra steady state cardio in and, and on top of strength training or, or, a, you know, a CrossFit class because, um, it's just not enough, I think. So, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny kind of contradiction. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get, in a way, I'm trying to get my clients to do more, but just not as hard. <laughs> I need, yeah. them, I need them moving more throughout the day, and I need, yeah. them, and I need them moving less intensely when they come to class. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've sort of, I've talked about that in, in workshops, in the framing of sort of just building your work capacity and the only way you can build your work capacity is to actually start at a very low intensity or low volume um you know i I gave the example i think when i spoke to mickey of i went out for a run a few months back and i haven't run much recently and i probably did 3k and it just obliterated me for a week you know my legs were just completely annihilated and i'm i'm relatively fit in a cardiovascular sense, but just to go out and pound the pavement, couldn't do it. So I would have been better off starting with a, a, a ridiculously small amount of exercise, maybe even a one minute jog around the, um, you know, around the block and then building by maybe a minute a day until I was actually getting some volume in, because I, I think we've got to start at a very, very low intensity in order to just encourage the body to adapt uh, without smashing it. Exactly. And, uh, you, you know, it used to be, trial by fire um try a class um then i'd stand over you while you're lying on your back ask you how you like that and um if (laughs) if you liked it come back tomorrow and we'll do it again you know Um, i'm not gonna so i'm not gonna pretend that i um you know knew what i was doing from the start we certainly figured it out by trial and error and uh i but i could see very early on i'd like if i'm going to take any kind of credit it was that i i saw it very early on that the majority of people didn't like getting their asses handed to them straight away. And it was nothing to do with being weak or soft or, or anything like that. It was, it was just a heck of a shock and, yeah. and it was, it's potentially dangerous. 
um, so now I, I just talk, I talk to a, a prospective client. Um, I mean, we can't prove anything with one workout anyway. If you come back to that constant variance, um, you know, one, one workout of a, potentially a thousand different ones, there's just no need to kind of roll the dice like that with someone. Yeah. And, and every time I've tried to kind of guesstimate someone's fitness, I've been wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I know I said five rounds, but you know what? We're just going to do three because uh, you look really good. You know, I'm, I'll say something really nice to them. You're looking really good. That's all we need to do. But it's because I can see they're about to drop dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now it's chat and then it's, yeah, steady state aerobic work and basic strength training until we get a good idea of that person's capacity. You know, we'd we'd be doing them a disservice otherwise. That's what I think about it now. Is is again that that ten year journey? People are just in worse shape on, on average than they ever ever have been, and yeah, um, they just don't need to be thrown into a high intensity setting, let alone with complex movements. So, um, yeah, I you know I believe we're one of the the best service based businesses out there. You know, we're doing a lot for people, and it's our it's our duty to make sure they're looked after and um you know a few a few sessions one-on-one where we just make sure that everything works right their posture is correct that they've got a bit of balance and they have some sort of capacity mm. and that we can that we build a little bit through those sessions before they jump into group class which ultimately why crossfit is so successful is the group setting and so we're not trying to take that away uh, it's a lot of fun working out with other people um we just we just take a little longer to get people to that point. We make them earn it, I guess. Um, but, uh, but not in a fight club way. We, <laughs> just, we just, you know, we just want to build a bit of basic capacity so that they can be safe so that they can uh, enjoy themselves. And uh, yeah, it seems to be working out pretty good. You know, we've got uh, average, average membership well over three years, which is I think twice the national average and um, something like 65 year members. And um, we've got a whole host of uh, members that we're starting to award 10-year um, awards to as well. And wow. I just don't think that people could exercise that hard for that long if we weren't, um, you know, moderating it somewhat. Yeah, and yeah, I want to return to that idea of community, but I think what you mentioned about the intensities and doing steady state and then having your I guess strength and skill based work that's very very similar to a lot of coaches I've talked with recently who really have this idea myself included of almost like bookending exercise where the priorities are strength with relatively low volume and high intensity but well within capacity for the individual and then just residual exercise to build work capacity and all the other various benefits and then in the middle range is where we need to be more circumspect based on the recovery ability of the person, because that's, you know, that high intensity, high volume type stuff is where people really get smashed. So it's, it's interesting that a lot of people have come to the same types of conclusions, I guess, basically just from being in the fire with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Constant. Every, every time I go to a competition, uh, I'm talking to an owner or a coach or an athlete who's just coming to that realization, you know, and, and, whether it's, I can't do this anymore, I'm injured, I can't do this anymore, I'm burned out, um, I'm losing the enjoyment of exercise, all these things are starting to happen to people. And that's, that's the thing. For some, some of our you know, deconditioned people who've never experienced this stuff before, it'll take them two months and they're done. For people yeah. who love it, 
it might take them two years, might take them four years, but they're done as well. Um, it's just hard to keep coming in and slogging your guts out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Strength's, strength's always the priority for us. Um, and then it's, yeah, just building that capacity um, from, from the low end, from the aerobic side of things and just moving it up. And we move it up as far as that person um, can handle, I guess, in the sense of what, what, they, what they need, what they're capable of doing. Um, but yeah, it's either ends of the spectrum, certainly where I think we win the, win the battle. Um, caveman, you know, he, he's walked after game for three days and then he ran out and stabbed it. So you yeah, know, exactly. He sprints and he walks. He doesn't run at a really fast pace for two hours. No. Uh, and, uh, that's that, that marathon mentality. It's not really where we're supposed to live. Yeah. Um, and, and that glycolytic system, you know, like it, obviously we're not exercising for two hours, but that glycolytic system is kicking in from, you know, around that 10 minute mark at a reasonably high intensity. So that's the one we're hammering with a lot of that classic Metcon type stuff. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting point because given that, you know, as you've said, we were attrition hunters and that's, that was our advantage because we didn't overheat unlike our, our prey would overheat and they'd eventually have to stop. Um, but that involved, like you say, it was extremely slow jogging or mostly walking for long periods of time. Uh, and most people who are pretty well conditioned and are structurally pretty well put together can actually go out and walk for incredible distances mm. without it being too much of a strain. As soon, as soon as you start to put greater load through by jogging or running, that's when you obviously have to be attenuated to it. Um, but it goes to show that structurally we're very well developed for that of just, you know, that long residual, very slow stuff interspersed with yeah. sprinting, killing, dragging, <laughs> climbing, all that kind of stuff. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a survival thing, right? Um, it was too energy costly to, to run fast for a long time. And um, we don't have any problems now with energy acquisition. Um, but, you know, that's also a problem in its own right. Um, yeah. There's, uh, yeah, this, this might be a bit of a controversial statement, but there's, uh, there, there, there's some chubby CrossFitters out there. And uh, that's not being, I'm not being uh, a fattest, um, but what I mean is uh, there's a lot of, people who, whose body composition is uh, suffering because they are thinking that they've earned the right to um, eat and drink what they like. Um, and I've, I've been in that boat as well. Um, you know, I'm not as lean as I was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And uh, some of that's to do with, I'm probably fine to make this choice because of the exercise that I do. And it's, you know, it just doesn't actually work that way um, forever. If you're 20, sure. I wonder, I, I remember I wrote an article many years ago on the Chubby CrossFitter, and it, it probably wouldn't fly now. I think if I published it again, I'd be strung up. But one of the points I played with, and I don't necessarily believe it, but I think it's interesting to think about, is that I think some athletes in CrossFit or CrossFit-like sports that are smashing themselves with very high volumes of high-intensity activity and who need to... Um, also fuel that and end up slipping into maybe some poorer dietary habits because they're just trying to get the fuel in. Yeah. They're basically in an extremely high stress situation with extremely high residual cortisol all the time and they're eating pretty poor food. It's it's not the perfect situation for having optimal body comp anyway. Exactly. 
Did you, so you think that's actually potentially a thing? I really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't go around sort of uh, observing everyone's body composition as, as I walk through a competition, but it's just a general feeling um, that, that, um, yeah, that abdominal fat. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm feeling a bit judgy already talking about it, but uh, um, mm. the, if, we, if we change the concept from uh, chubby CrossFitter to you know, less than optimal health CrossFitter, um, of which body composition is a factor, right? Yeah. Um, so these, these people are just they're very inflamed, highly stressed, uh, poor digestion, uh, low nutrient intake, as in micros, um, high energy intake, and um, a certainly a high energy output, um, and which equals you know all the cortisol. So yeah, um, it's a very interesting situation to be in. And uh, there's a there's a classic um, sort of graphic in CrossFit um, called the the sickness uh, wellness fitness curve. Um, and if you imagine a, a half circle with sickness on one side fitness on the other side and wellness at the halfway point it talks about uh, the fact that you know most sort of most encouragements around fitness and health are, are toward wellness which is really only a, a half measure and that being fit which is, is according to this um this graph better gives you a buffer and you have to backside all the way through wellness just to become sick um and i've always liked it and just it just meant you know you you should be searching for more than wellness yeah. Um, however, if you start drawing that circle around and, and completing the circle, uh, that's when you're moving into sport and competition. Um, and now you're only 90 degrees away from ending up back at sickness again, which mm. manifests itself in, you know, acute injury, chronic injuries, and um, more of these other things we're talking about, um, trouble maintaining body comp, um, inflammation, gut issues, um, that sort of thing. And I think that's where a lot of people, you know, who, who have prioritized the sport of CrossFit or the sport of fitness, um, they've started to complete that circle back towards sickness again. And, you, you know, we know this in any professional sport that they're often on a razor's edge in yeah. that regard anyway. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. No. The thing is, it's become a new thing for a population of people who maybe don't have the support around it. Yeah. The weekend warriors. Yeah. And I guess in, in um, just so that people don't string me up too much, in my experience of that situation, it was predominantly with athletes who were actually very high-level CrossFitters who were also high-level in other sports, like maybe other strength sports or in you know combat sports, and were trying to make weight in those other sports and were finding they were very resistant to losing body fat. Now, they weren't necessarily you know what we would consider – over fat by any means but to get to the level of leanness that was required by the other sport was incredibly difficult and i think a lot of it was just because of that residual stress and and overtraining overreaching that they were probably you know experiencing um as a result of all the crossfit work and backed up with maybe poor nutrition yes yeah, it's just too much right and there so their sport sorry i'm just relocating to a power source that's <laughs> okay um their sport was in that glycolytic pathway and then they're adding more, more glycolytic work. Exactly. So, so it's just just overload, and then it becomes they become very resistant to fat loss. Yeah. Yep. 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 
So when you're working, because you work with a lot with um, not just your, I guess, general recreational CrossFit athletes, but you also work with a lot of high-level CrossFit athletes as well. Mm-hmm. How do you monitor and adapt those types of training programs or nutrition plans for those higher-level guys to um, guys and gals to basically um, meet those recovery requirements? How do you know when they're potentially getting into that place of overreaching? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I tell you what, uh, I really had to rethink my ideas on carbohydrate. Uh, I certainly, I didn't promote low carbohydrate, but I, I was resistant to the amounts of carbohydrate that uh, some other experts were pushing in the sport. Uh, but the fact is that the volume. Um, the volume of work required in the sport at this highest level now um, it's, it's basically an endurance exercise in terms yeah. of, in terms of the amount of carbohydrate required. Uh, so I've, I've admittedly changed my tune a lot. And, um, you know, you and I've spoken before about this, about sort of what's been proven in the literature to be sort of optimal or recommended carbohydrate intakes. Um, however, in practice athletes aren't getting it because it's, simply so high you know they're, they're falling short they're just trying to do the best they can um and so that's often the case when it comes to competition is is i'm literally trying to help them do the best they can to get enough fuel and to to literally survive the the weekend or the week um, because the demands yeah. the demands are so great so um really emphasizing that so what really that means is we put a lot more emphasis on trying to eat as healthy as possible outside competition and then, you know, uh, when it's the weekend, they basically go to war and they, they might get a decent breakfast and a decent dinner. And then they're living on, you know, um, branch chain amino acids and um, sports drink in, in between. Yeah. And just getting it, you know, shoveling it down in as much volume as they can to to do the work. Yeah. And then it's straight back on to, um, you know, all the greens and getting that inflammation down and real food and, and that sort of thing as soon as possible. Did, did you find that the, because I know when I first, first became aware of CrossFit, it was very much, it was very much wrapped up with the zone. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of changed. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but then it sort of went more towards sort of paleo primal. But I found that a lot of CrossFit athletes started going to the extreme ends of that where they were low carb and keto. Mm-hmm. Where is that now? Do you think that's changed or, or do you think for recreational CrossFit athletes in particular, they're still very much low carbon keto biased? It's an interesting one. Um, as far as I'm aware, CrossFit themselves are still more in the zone camp. Um, and without trying to speak for them, I think it's just because that is a, it's good middle ground. It is a good yeah. starting ground. It's still probably 20% less carbs than the average um, Westerner is eating. And so it's still a lower carb diet and it's, it's uh, putting an emphasis on protein. It's not demonizing fat. So it often does a really good job to get people started who have absolutely no idea, but you know, the general public now is a little bit more aware and self-educated and they're already, you know, that's the thing. They're already sort of looking up keto and low carb and primal online. And, um, you know, again, 10 years ago, zone was revolutionary. Um, now people are, you know, they're looking at different options, but uh, I don't know if that's a better or a worse thing. Certainly information overload and paralysis by analysis and all that. But, you know, if you get someone on the zone, if they, if they're at 
absolute rubbish sort of quality of diet, they're going to be in a better place. And from there, we just start, you know, titrating yeah. it down or adjusting it as we see fit. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I think so. some of the challenges with keto and CrossFit, from my point of view, come down to two things. It's basically the, um, it's the volume of the athlete. Because, you know, I know we've discussed this a lot. A recreational CrossFit athlete who's going two or three times a week to the box is a vastly different proposition to someone who's competing and is maybe training yeah. two or three times a day. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I think is a misunderstanding of keto and low carb. And, and I see this all the time. I see it in scientific publications. I see it in magazines and blogs, whatever. There are these arbitrary ideas that people have of, you know, to, to be keto or be low carb, you have to be under 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 grams of carbohydrate. But none of that is actually realistic when we take into account the volume of a, an athlete, whether they're a recreational athlete or not, because if they're doing large volumes, not only can they tolerate, but they're using and they benefit from more carbohydrate, whether or not they're keto, low carb, zone, whatever, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, so in some respects, I kind of think, well, find the, the the nutrition style that works really well for you as a baseline because of behavioral factors or physiological factors or whatever, and then increase the carbs to meet your performance. Exactly. That's it. And yeah, so your average CrossFitter, um, they can do, they should do much better on lower carb intake. But um, as training increases, as intensity increases, volume um they're potentially going to have to boost that up a little bit. Um, and then it's also taking into account, yeah, what, where they train, what they're getting. If they, if they are turning up to a CrossFit gym that is regularly, you know, dishing up these big, long, nasty glycogen depleting workouts, um, they may have trouble. Um, you know, they might have a bit more trouble trying to adapt to any kind of lower carb, um, diet, at least in the, at least in the interim and that's yeah. often the case you know people jump in boots and all and they go keto and join a crossfit gym and, uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or you know or an f45 or, or or a boot camp and um particularly those other ones i mentioned you know those those uh those tend to be higher intensity for longer so even more depleting than um than your average crossfit class um and so yes yeah, it's not it's often not a good mix yeah, and no, I think with, you know, the, the sort of hierarchy idea that we were talking about before, I don't have anything against people moving. I think if they want to do a particular type of activity, exercise, whatever, all power to them. But to me, it doesn't make sense with the priorities or the hierarchies of what's most important. If the only thing that people are doing is getting out and twice a week just hammering themselves for 45 minutes, because I would rather that person goes for a 20 minute walk every day. Yeah. And then maybe works in a couple of sets of shit, start with some push-ups and some bodyweight squats to get some, you know, movement patterning, resistance, strength, skill coming in. Yeah. You know what though, what? Cliff? It's What's no that? Fun. It's no fun. <laughs> I know. It's this is the problem though. And you're by yourself and this is the dilemma. The the best exercise is boring. Yeah. And the best nutrition is boring. Yeah. And, Which is why uh, you and I are never going to be best-selling nutrition authors because we're too pragmatic. <laughs> well, there'd only be two pages in my nutrition book, I think. Yeah, you're uh, you're more pragmatic than me. <laughs> um, no, you certainly you certainly do your best. 
Um, but that's yeah, that's the thing is um, uh, yeah, that's why that's why group exercise is so successful. Um, I see that, and so my efforts are certainly to find a way to get the best out of the group environment, which is the the motivation, the the social connection, which is a huge one. Yeah, um, and you know, and it is is more important than ever. Um, you talked about happiness in the show title. You know, um, being around people. It's yeah. it's number one. It's right up there, and uh, so that's that's where it's really important. And so that's what I'm mindful of. I I I believe in the group model, but maybe for other reasons. Um, and then if we can find the best way to deliver uh, the best exercise for the greater greater good or the the greater amount of people and give them the greater good. Not sure I'm getting that right. You know, do the best I can in that environment though. You know, ideally everyone's on their own program, doing their own thing. Um, but that's more expensive. It takes up more space. You know, it's, it's harder. Um, so can, can we achieve it in a group environment? That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And I've begun to think that, well, for a long time, I've thought that, you know, that the perfect training plan is kind of bullshit anyway, because at the end of the day, I, you know, I see strength coaches all the time who are supposedly the, the latest and greatest and they work with all these amazing athletes. I really wonder if, if that amazing athlete was working with another strength coach who is pretty damn good, mm-hmm. that they'd probably be just as good. Because at the end of the day, you get strong, you get powerful. You, you basically can do that with the, the basics and the fundamentals. So by extension, I wonder, you know, if, if everyone is so obsessed with individualizing and, you know, quantifying for them, finding the perfect training, the perfect nutrition, they're often, I think, focused on the wrong stuff because what's more important is just getting it done. And I think if you can get it done within a community, I think what we're realizing now is having community and real connection is probably the biggest thing you can do for your mental health. And that's probably our biggest social challenge is that people are not that happy anymore. Yeah. And CrossFit's done a great job of that. Heck yeah. They they might not be smiling in the middle of a workout, but they're always smiling after. Well, never in my life had I seen, like I, I was kind of resistant, as you well know, I was quite resistant to CrossFit back in about 2006, seven, when I first became exposed to it. I, I changed my tune very quickly when I started working with CrossFit athletes and realized just how committed they were to learning strength as a skill. But then when I saw boxes, which are businesses, you know, these are for-profit enterprises and people were showing up in their free time to help paint the gym and lay down mats and all this kind of stuff. And I've seen it boxes around the world. I was thinking, this is crazy for someone to basically help your business to succeed and pay you for the honor of doing it that shows they're getting something a whole lot more out of it as well it's something special that's for sure yeah and i mean that that's that's community right yeah 100 percent, 100 and uh and some like where i've been sort of talking about lately is uh that every every cross the gym uh and i'm not going to say good bad or anything like that you know but any cross gym of any quality caliber experience they've got a great community um, and so where I'm trying to go, uh, I guess another layer is in the culture. So, you know, community is the people and they're going to come and go that, you know, there's no guarantees that people stay forever, although we're working on it. Um, uh, but people come and go, coaches come and go. Um, so that's your community, but the culture is the way that community behaves. 
Yeah. And so keeping that culture strong, um, keeping those values really high, um, you know, from the simple things like saying hello to new people, to uh, mopping the floors, to, um, as you said, people that are prepared to come in on their time off and help um, maintain the gym. Uh, they help each other move house. They, you know, um, they house sit for each other. They look after each other's pets. They babysit. It's, that's the culture and that's that's yeah special stuff yeah it's pretty pretty amazing and it's cool that people are doing that with a focus on movement gaining skills nutrition you know all these various holistic things exactly. whereas yeah. that- which is another cultural thing uh, in the sense of coming back to exercise being boring we've got people that are now starting to go okay i get it let's do it yeah you know i'm i'm, yep. I'm ready to uh, work at it. I'm ready to, to, I've got the patience. I'm going to demonstrate some, uh, you know, uh, patience to get there. And we've talked about it. We've compared this a lot to jujitsu um, in conversations as well. You know, there's this, there's suddenly it's, it's happened in the jujitsu world. It's the same as CrossFit. There's this resurgence of uh, people who are prepared to put in the time. Yeah. Um, as hard and as uncomfortable and as slow as it may be. They understand that that's how you get true fulfillment and um, find some purpose and, and get genuine lasting results. Um, so, yeah, it's a special time, but it, it's hard. It's not as good as the flashy stuff. You know? Well, it, interestingly, I think what maybe CrossFit and, and other modalities like that and what you see in martial arts as well, what they've basically stumbled upon without realizing it is they've gamified exercise. Yeah. You know, because if you're learning to do something and you achieve it, that's so much different to going and sitting on a bicep curl machine where there's no option for you not to achieve it. I mean, then you are truly just putting in reps, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's, it's that's pretty it's first, pretty clever without being clever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that gamification was fantastic. And uh, as I said, now, you know, the, the companies that are coming around now are perhaps gamifying data points that aren't as necessary, you know, just, just focusing purely on heart rate or calories, burned, yeah. things like that. So um, <clears throat> it can be taken the wrong way. Um, certainly yeah, gamification of a, of skill acquisition is where it's at. Um, you know, even, yeah, kilos I don't on think... the bar is, even kilos on the bar is finite, right? Because, you know, I'm in my forties now. Can I, can I actually get any stronger? Um, yeah. Possibly in some things, but you know, that's going to start to dwindle. So what's the, what's the purpose of strength training for me anymore if I can't have any more wins? Yeah. You know, so I'm more focused on um, improving movement quality, uh, learning more technical lifts. Um, maybe I can improve my 5RM instead of my 1RM. Maybe I can improve my 10RM instead yeah. of my 5RM. Um, you know, play around with uh, some Cliff Harvey specials, you know, one-handed deadlifts and um, overhead anyhows and, you know, Zercher squats and just just – get a little bit freaky so that I can still enjoy improvement. I, I think um, something that comes to mind that, that I've really enjoyed recently is I used to be really fixated on strength. So basically everything I did was under about five reps. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted, if I had another ancillary goal, like I was trying to put on a bit of muscle at the same time, then I'd obviously increase the volume of that to try and um, elicit that hypertrophy. But recently, and I think I, I have to thank uh, guys like Eric Helms and, and his buddies for sort of opening the doors a little bit to higher reps again through some of the research that's been done. I figured that 
there's no reason why I can't do higher rep work. So I've gone back to, you know, 20 and 30 rep squats and just trying to build my load with those reps or 20 or 30 rep overhead press, things like that. And it feels really good for the aging body to not always be under <laughs> excessive loads. Yeah. You know, it's almost as if you warm up within the set. It's still very challenging. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of the same stuff. And yeah, I've seemed, I've seemed to recall reading a bit of research that's suggesting that sort of classic, um, you know, uh, set, uh, rep continuum is not as is not as died in the wool as, as it may, may have been thought to be. It's that you can build strength and muscle in any rep range. Yeah, and I think it comes down to, you know, a certain amount of repetitions are probably required within a time frame, let's say over a week. Yep. And as long as your load is also increasing incrementally over time, then you're basically going to get bigger. And I've certainly noticed that. I think I'm the biggest I've been in, in years. And it's most of my reps at the moment are between 20 and 30. Sweet pump. I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just all pump. Love it. But, Part of that as well is because I find my joints get a little bit beaten up because I'm an old man now doing jujitsu. Mm -hmm. You mentioned jujitsu. Is is that the next step for you as well to start learning some skill in that space, or I, is that I've something been, you're just playing around with? I've been trying. I've been trying. Uh, it's it's certainly something I'd like to get back into. You know, definitely. Um, if I said that I had a sport, like uh, yeah, I, I, I spent most of. The longest period of time was in martial arts um, during yeah. my teens. And so there's certainly, I guess I could consider myself a martial artist at heart. And I've always wanted to find my way back to it. Um, but yeah, looking for something with a little bit more, again, a little bit more meaning and purpose and jujitsu ticks those boxes. So I've been having the odd lesson, um, but I haven't managed to get into a regular practice yet. Um, so I might have to come and um, see, was, was it lunchtime classes you were getting along to? I, I go in the morning. I'm terrible later in the day. Yeah. I might have to come and uh, see if I can, can hang with you once, once or twice. I got to find a home. Got to find a home. Come along with that have you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean I want to wrestle with you. Cause I think it'd be like wrestling a beer, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I still remember uh, one of my first lessons ever. This was years ago. Um, some tiny little guy, and uh, he just kept saying to me, you're so strong, you're so strong, as he basically just manhandled me around the floor, <laughs> yeah. you know, complimenting me while he was dismantling me. So yeah. I know there's a lot more to it than just strength. <laughs> um, but that's what, that's again, what appeals, you know, the chance to keep learning and, um, and, and keep growing for sure. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's something we really push uh, within our community is, is to use the fitness that you're developing in the gym to, um, do other stuff outside and yeah and prior to crossfit games um that was what we did we went into marathons and trail runs and uh the coastal challenge run which is you know up starts up your way and comes all the way down like just slogging through the the sand and uh, you know around the, around the river mouths and following the following the coast the whole way down to devonport um uh, spartan races tough mudders all that stuff um that's that's where you sort of really know that you're fit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, getting fit to, and again, I'm, this is not me bagging CrossFit or, as a sport because it was my sport and I loved it and I still love it. Um, but I certainly enjoy testing myself in other other areas now. Um, thinking about doing some some paddleboard racing this summer, actually. 
Oh yeah. Oh, and I got roped into the coast to coast uh, at, to do the cycle legs, which is next February. So I'm on a team for that. <laughs> so yeah, so got a few different things going on. Um, so is this again, all all these different things you're doing? Is this mainly? Is this to stay fresh and just to stay motivated, or is there sort of a reason outside of that to, to move in different ways and to, to sort of keep your body healthy? Yeah, I think all of the above. Um, coming, you know, it's certainly coming back to that longer aerobic stuff, um, trying to get out on the mountain bike more, trying to get on the paddleboard more, trying to get out hiking more. Um, I love an ocean swim, although I'm not very good at it, uh, but that's all right. Um, and uh, yeah, you talked about, you know, not being beat up. Um, that seems to help. Um, and as I said, our, our programming within the gym has evolved a lot anyway. So I'm, you know, I'm certainly, I'm not trying to alleviate the stress of the training I'm doing in the gym because I, I would like to think that I've, that's already evolved enough that it's not causing the kind of stress that maybe it used to in the old days. Um, but also I'm not training for CrossFit Games or anything like that. So the volume of uh, weight training, of, of conditioning work that I do is a lot lower. Um, but ultimately, man, New Zealand's a beautiful country. If you're not outside in it, um, using your own body to locomote around it, it's just, you know, it's a bit of a waste. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I like, to, I like running trails because I get to go places and see things that I wouldn't otherwise, you know. Um, sometimes you get access to private, private farm, private land um, with some of these organized races. It's pretty incredible. It, it always used to blow me away when I lived in Vancouver that I, I had an office at our gym and I, you know, did my nutrition there, but I strength coached at our local gym as well. And people would drive in from the suburbs to walk on the treadmill. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I just thought with the beauty that was around Vancouver, yeah. just go for a fucking walk, man. Go for a walk in the bush. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so there's, I'm always fascinated by your, your Instagram feed and your, you know, um, the, the stuff you post up to Facebook on the CrossFit page and things like that on the recovery and restorative work you do. Now, looking in from the outside, it seems like you have a real focus on that. And it seems to me, I'm going straight being honest here, it seems like it would be quite overwhelming for me to think about all those various things. But is that something that you use in lieu of training or do you just do restorative work as part of what you do? And if so, what, what sorts of daily things do you do for that recovery and repair? Uh, that's another good question, Clifford. Oh, I think uh, there's multiple answers to that. One is uh, we talked about trying to get those steps in. So yeah. for me, it's a version of getting steps. Okay. Um, but if I don't have the opportunity to sort of go for a walk, then you know, some sort of circuit of um, bear crawls and kettlebell swings and um, uh, Turkish get-ups. Uh, that, that's going to be my, my walking that day. Um, but, of course, I, I, I might wager it's even more productive, right, because I'm hitting more corners. I'm, I'm moving through a bigger range of motion. Um, it's more enjoyable. Uh, I still find it hard to just enjoy walking. I'm working on it. <laughs> so that's good but yeah uh, it, it it helps me recover from harder workouts um and dare i say perhaps it's a it's a sneaky way to build capacity to do well at those harder workouts you know most people let's say they're training three times a week at a crossfit gym and they want to do more their next step is to do a fourth crossfit yeah. class right which is 33 percent increase 
on volume and that's just likely to be too big a jump but what if they did a steady state bike or went for a swim or, or, or even a light jog or added in a circuit like I'm talking about as their fourth yeah. session, you know, and did that until it felt like they could cope with it. And then maybe they took that away um, and replaced it with the fourth CrossFit class. Then they added it back in again. Now we're at five sessions, but we're now increasing our, our um, you know, we're increasing it by 10%, let's say, rather than that 30 odd. So, yeah, it's 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 a, and it's just skill acquisition. It's a way to sort of practice more skilled m- movement in a lower intensity environment. So yeah, I get better at moving um, when I move slower. And it's obviously very much within your capacity. You're using what are for you relatively light weights, yeah. and yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, so, it's 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 moving meditation at its at its best. You know, yeah, it's very mindful movement. Yeah, I um. I do that a lot with the, with the clubs and with yeah. the sledgehammer, you know, just, just cyclical movements, keeping it really light, you know, one or two kilo bells and just, just for time, you know? Yeah. feels good. Yeah. So more generally, do, do you have any, um, anything almost like a checklist? Are there some things that you do each and every day that are kind of your non-negotiables? Uh, that has varied. Um, used to have stricter routines but i'm sort of getting back into it but uh generally um i will try to do some kind of breathing um yeah and i like just a milder one when i wake up i'll do something like box breathing so some just some more controlled breathing just to get going is that for like four seconds yeah so four in four hold four out yeah four hold or something like that um stuff like wim hof was always a bit too aggressive for me i used to sort of seemed like it would just stir up the cortisol in the morning. Um, so just some, some focus on the breath. And then I would go through some sort of what I call a spinal floss. So just some basic core movements, cats and camels, down up dogs, um, some rotational work through the thoracic, just loosening up yeah. the spine and the hips. Um, and if I do that, I'm pretty happy. Um, and then, yeah, if, if on a perfect day, I would, I would um, have time to go through 30 or 40 minutes of a more detailed kind of movement flow which which could be like some rowing and some bear crawling and some kettlebell swinging and some handstand holds plank work that kind of thing yeah if i could start my day off with something like that every day um that would be pretty good going but it depends on my if i'm coaching early or i've got clients and things like that but there's always some breathing and sort of movement yeah that you do every morning and and to be honest i would take that over um a harder workout and it used to be more like a, a fail safe um mm. back when i was a little bit more regular with it the idea was i got that in i got that low intensity session in um actually i, I jokingly call it lifting um l-i-f-t low intensity functional training yeah i love when you told me about that the other day <laughs> so I, I lift in the morning and then if i don't get to strength train with any sort of intensity later that day like i had perhaps planned you know stuff will get in the way uh, I don't feel too bad because I have lifted. I've done some movement. I've done some really quality movement. Uh, I don't feel that I've lost out. But if I manage to get that lifting session in in the morning and then later that day I do some heavy squats or some heavy deadlifts or some heavy presses and some yeah. sort of higher intensity conditioning work, then um, that's an even bigger win, you know? 
And you don't use anything like heart rate variability to track no, your recovery I, or anything? I, I try to be a bit more intuitive personally. Yeah. Um, I'm not that fond of, I'm not, I'm actually not that fond of data um, at all. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's still, I mean, it helps. Of course it helps. But, um, you know, there's a lot of studies that show that the, that the best thing is uh, when the coach says, how you're feeling to the athlete. Um, yeah. You know, that beats urine color and grip strength and, hrv almost always uh, yeah so that's 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 how i tend to go how do i feel if yeah I, if i haven't a good sleep i won't work out hard um if i haven't eaten well i won't work out hard you know i'll, I'll base it on that uh pretty famous coach in the crossfit uh fear sphere um coach bergner says something like if the frying pan's hot you should cook so, yeah um, that's it. If you're feeling good, go for it. If it's uh, yeah. frying pans a little cold, then you know, be mindful. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Recently, I've I've sort of fallen into a pattern of of training twice a day, mm -hmm. and I, I say that, but it's not really training because I'll do jujitsu in the morning, and then if I'm feeling good, I'll, I'll lift like I'll lift pretty heavy, and if I'm not. I still lift, but it's either a lot lighter or it's, you know, club bell work or it's mobility work, you know, with some type of resistance. It could be sort of dive bomber push-ups and, you know, up, down dog and things like that. You know, just basically moving through. But I, I find that having that additional movement later in the day has had enormous benefits for my, my mobility, my sleep, uh, helping to sort of bring down some of that residual stress uh, because I typically do it at the end of the workday. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been interesting because in the past, the reason I bring that up is in the past, I would have been inclined to, if I were training twice a day, my mindset would be training. So it, I've got to go hard. Two hard sessions. Yeah, exactly. And if I couldn't go hard, I'd flag it. Yeah. Whereas now it's just, well, do, do something, but just move. Even if it's roll around on the floor for 10 exactly. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that comes all the way back to what we were talking about earlier that we just, we're just not getting, uh, you know, the acronyms uh, NEAT and NEPA, that um, non-exercise activity. We're just not getting it. Yeah. And so it seems, I sometimes feel crazy that I'm, I'm recommending a lot of people start spending uh, more time in the gym. And that's only if they can't get that out, outdoors time. But uh, for example, you know, come to, come to a class and then come back in the afternoon and jump on a bike and pedal for 20 minutes and say hello to everyone and, and hang out again and, you know, in a good community. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, cycling in Auckland is pretty nuts. So it's not always the recommended option. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's, that's, you know, perfect world. They would, um, they would go for a trail walk or run. They would do an ocean swim. They would go mountain biking. They would uh, get on their paddle board, um, something like that. And then some strength training. You know? yeah. So what we're substituting in is things like these movement flows, um, uh, steady state cardio, you know, because remember, at the end of the day, what is the gym? It's pretending to work. It's, pretend, yeah. it's pretending to, to hunt and gather food. Yeah. And so, you know, um, perfect world, we wouldn't have to, to need a gym, but uh, that's what we're trying to emulate. And so given all of those things we've discussed, if you had to pick one thing, if, if someone could only do one thing in each and every day, what would that be? Shoot. 
That's I'm asking one. this question because Danny Danny Lennon from Sigma Nutrition Radio asked me it on his podcast a couple of weeks back. <laughs> now that's interesting because I still like, I really believe that strength is is where we should be prioritizing um, to to get people healthy. But if we were doing something every day, you know, it would be hard to just pick one strength movement unless we yeah. mix up the variety. And I'm you know I'm trying to like worm around the question here. Um, so there's a part of me that's leaning to something like. Um, walking on a really rugged trail, you know, to gather water. <laughs> and I'm trying yeah. to nick some strength training in there. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but ultimately um, having good movement, being able to locomote, you know, being able to stand and walk around is probably going to help us live the longest. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's not squats, it's not push ups, but, uh, you know, I would love to be able to, you know, have a, have a second uh, pick and one strength exercise and one aerobic but um yeah i'd probably pick some kind of fairly tough as in um physical not high intensity um aerobic yeah. movement well, i think if you had have asked me the i i didn't say this entirely to danny but i i sort of said part of it if you had have asked me probably 10 years ago i would have said something like deadlifts or cleans i also would have said the same thing if you asked me a couple of months back i would have said uh meditation and what I said to Danny the other week was um, going for a walk in nature. So it basically exactly what you said, because I think yeah. that encapsulates movement, posture, breath, uneven surfaces and mindfulness. And plus the, you know, the residual benefits of just being out in nature, we know are so important for mental health anyway. Yeah. 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 So maybe if you did some deadlifts and went for a walk, you're getting the best of both worlds. <laughs> That's it. That is it. And we, we, even though it's not quite the same thing, we end all our workouts at CrossFit NZ with a walk. We send everyone oh, yeah? out the door just to, you know, get some fresh air. Um, it helps to bring your heart rate down, just that gentle movement, you know, just trying to switch them into that parasympathetic state as soon as possible. Um, so yeah. unfortunately, again, today, today's day and age, uh, people finish the workout and then it's like, right, got to drop the kids off to sport. I got to go, I got to get to work. I got to get the groceries. I got to do this, I got to do that. And yeah. um, there's no time to adapt to the training. So, um, you know, uh, we've found the need for a, a, at least a, a moderate amount of cool down um, is, is necessary in our workouts because people are simply otherwise not going to realize the, the growth from the workout they just did. I found uh, doing, being committed to doing some mobility, you know, and actually, and not rushing through it, actually sort of being in process, doing some mobility before my lifting and I'm not doing my meditation in the morning anymore. I'm doing it, which I'd always done for years. I now do it at the end of my workout. I find, found that has been really beneficial to, to basically stop me from rushing from training back, back into work. Yeah. You know, I'm much more likely to go for a walk or just chill out for a bit. And it, it's been really good for my everything for my productivity as well mm -hmm. you know because if i do go back in and do a couple of extra hours work after my training because i train in the mid-morning or late late morning typically um i'm that much more productive because i'm back on whereas before i was rushing into things yeah yeah it's terrible yeah. you know I've, I've been i've been as bad as it gets you know checking emails between sets um, yeah. that sort of thing and it's just ridiculous it really is and um, I got sucked into that hole in a major way so yeah that's something I've been working very hard on have you found that getting into meditation has helped with that being more present in what you're doing 
yeah and it's funny because uh i meditated from a very early age much like yourself uh, not quite as early but uh, through my martial arts um, yeah and it was something you know um to my sorrow i didn't continue um and have just sort of sporadically tried to bring back over the last few years um i'm currently on the best run i have been in ages um and again, just a growing awareness of how important it is. Um, but I, I, again, uh, I've found a different sort of meditation through movement flow. So yeah. I, I guess I've been practicing mindfulness pretty regularly for a long time. Um, but only recently have I been um, working harder on actual meditation, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So given that, what... Um... Obviously, I could ask the typical questions about who inspired you in fitness and things like that. But I think what I'd really want to know more is what non-fitness books ha have you read that have really influenced you? Or who, who have you followed in the sort of non-fitness fields who, who's really been an inspiration to you? It's uh, a good question. Um, probably uh, Yuval Harari has been uh, someone I've read a lot of. Yeah, um, he's got some, you know, just love um, what is it, Sapiens, uh, Homo Deus, um, the uh, 21, less, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century or something like that. Um, just phenomenal thinker. Um, uh, Taleb, um, what am I saying? Uh, what's his book? Anti-Fragile. Okay. Um, I don't know that one. Nassim Taleb. Um, Black Swan, uh, Anti-Fragile, that's some interesting stuff. Uh, just, it's, and it's, uh, it's just a play on re resilience where basically uh, instead of re re talking resilience, if you're anti-fragile, when you, you become stronger as a result of the, uh, the stressor, whereas the re resilience, you're just resisting the stressor. But if you're an mm. you have an anti-fragile system, it's the what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of, kind of thing. Um, so that's, yeah, there's some interesting philosophy in there. And, um, and, and I've just been reading a lot of stuff around sort of uh, developmental culture um, you know, as a gym owner, as a leader, as a, as a boss. Um, that's something that I you know, really want to be better at and uh, I'm providing a, an organization where my staff and myself um, continually growing because um, it's a tough industry. Once again, yeah. there's, there's a lot of stagnation. People don't stay in the industry very long and, um, if I can do something to, towards improving that, um, you know, I will certainly try. And, and yeah, part of that, I think, is is providing challenge and growth and, and support and, and a, a feeling of team, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's a, that book is a, the particular one that stands out. It's called An Everyone Culture. Uh, oh, yeah? Uh, Rob Keegan. Um, just, just fascinating. And it highlights a few really interesting uh, companies, one of which is, uh, oh, shoot, I'm going to, Ray Dalio principles. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, his company is mentioned quite a lot in that. Um, and just just fascinating the way things are run in there. Like one particular example that jumps out is uh, if you're having a meeting and you mention anybody in that company's name, uh, they need to be informed about it, and they can listen to the transcripts of that meeting. Huh. Yeah. So just that is that uh, brutal open honesty. That's one of their like um, you know one of their um, parts of their culture. Just things like that I, I find really fascinating because um, we're, we're constantly kind of, you know, that typical office corporate culture, everyone's sort of 
skulking around hiding and just trying to do their job, keep their head down and not get made redundant. And yeah, it's, it's not, a, not a fun place to be. Um, so, and yeah. the health, health and fitness industries have, you know, probably surprises people who are listening in who are not involved in the industry um, sort of behind the scenes, but they're, they're, you know, well known for being quite, um, I don't, I don't think I can use the term bitchy anymore. Can I? <laughs> probably, probably not. Um, but yeah, I, I know, I certainly know what you mean. Um, and the culture and yeah. businesses and health and fitness has not always been the no. healthiest either. I mean, it hasn't been focused on wellness. Not at all. No. So, uh, so I guess we need yeah, to, we want to try and work on exercise leadership in that area. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's hard. I'll tell you what, it's a struggle, but, uh, um, what's the alternative, right? Yeah, exactly. So what are you most focused on nowadays? Have you got any um, sort of big projects coming up or what are you working on at the moment? Uh, still still trying to make our little gym the best gosh darn gym in the country. Um, yeah, you know, you're doing a good job. That's the never-ending process, um, but I'm not going to give up there. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying working with a few other gyms, uh, helping them implement um, my, my programming philosophy. Um, you know, that's, I think that's obviously you want to bring about some change. You can do a certain amount in a gym, but, uh, if I can get other gyms, other coaches, other leaders on board with, uh, um, you know, the delivery of, um, more moderate and, uh, practical strength and conditioning training for the 21st century human, um, then, you know, I'll be able to get a bit more reach. So um, that's that's something that's sort of becoming a, a side business in its own right. And I'd certainly like to see that grow if for nothing, you know, no other reason than to have a bit more impact in that department. Um, I, I feel like it's what I've ranted about the most in this talk today. And so, yeah, that's certainly something that I'm pretty passionate about. So do you uh, consult to boxes and gyms and provide programming for them? Yeah. Yeah. And how do people find out a bit more about that, Des? Uh, if they popped onto Instagram, I guess, which is where all the kids hang out and yeah. um, look for Sherpa dot coaching, they'll, they'll find, uh, me there and they could just flick a direct message through. Um, that's probably the easiest way or, um, awesome. and is or, that, is that the best place for people to contact you is Instagram? Yeah. Or otherwise, um, come through, come through, uh, the gym CrossFit NZ dot co dot NZ and um, get in touch via the website. That'll all find its way to me. Awesome, Daz. Well, we got there in the end. We got you on. We discussed a whole range of things, two beaten up old muscle heads discussing recovery and health and happiness. I think we... Um... There's a bit more life left in us, mate. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Well, you, you inspired me the other day when you said that you were... Um, what did you say? You were fitter at 40 than 30 and you want to be fitter at 50 than 40. That's the goal. That's a lofty goal. Um, it's yet to be determined if it's possible, but, um, you know, let's, let's see. And what I figured, I had an epiphany after that and I had a, a realization that our, our physicality doesn't, it's going to change to some degree, but it doesn't need to change as much as people think. What needs to change is the way we approach it. Because I think as we exactly. get older, we, we can't just, act as if we're 20 year olds who are bulletproof mm -hmm. yeah, and i guess that's where all these um 
we continue learning, right? I think we continue to learn and grow and evolve and, and discover how we can keep moving forward despite the limitations of a bit of a few bust ups here and there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that maybe the goalpost will change. So, you know, when I turn 50, I'll be saying, yeah, absolutely, I'm fitter than I was at 40, even though perhaps the metrics won't prove that. But yeah. it'll be what I believe fitness at 50 stands for or is or what it lets me do. And um, I will probably feel like I have more capacity in, in, in broader areas, um, more resilience, yeah. uh, that anti-fragility I was talking about. You know, that's yeah. probably what I'm aiming at. And I will, at 50, probably consider that uh, an achievement that puts me above where I was at 40. That's a really good way to look at it. You know, but, I think to... Again, 60, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's sort of reevaluation. I think, for, for me to frame fitness at 40 as being able to, I don't know, lift 180 with one hand is, is not realistic. But for me to be more mobile, pain-free, and overall better condition than I was at 30 is more than achievable. Yeah. You, the only way to win is if you're still standing at the end, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so wherever that is, um, that's the goal. So if exactly. You're still, if you're still if you're still moving and able, um, you are fitter. That's right. Wise words, Daz. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll get these. We'll get your links up in the show notes, and this should be up in just a few days for everyone to listen into. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. To support the podcast and receive member-only benefits along with free articles, go to cliffharvey.com. Subscribe to the podcast on all popular podcast channels and to our YouTube channel at holisticperformance.tv.